couple of kids. Happy birthday, Josh. Amen. All right, this is, I think, John, is this the third in the series or the fourth? Um, uh, fourth? It's good to have people that know what's going on, isn't it? This is the fourth in the series on uh, what does love look like? What is love? Particularly for us as Christians, how do we love those we disagree with? Let me just preface this by saying we're in an age in America that is a recurrence of a of an aspect of human nature which has never changed, may never change. And it has been the predominant uh, theme in social interaction since the earliest days of humans on the earth, and that is tribalism. It is a group identity that says, uh, we are other than these people. Usually we think we're special. We have something that others don't have. And that might be true on some level, that of course we can be different and we have groups that are different. That's, that's what makes diversity so interesting. But tribalism is the, is the deep-seated fear and mistrust of others. That fear and mistrust becomes so great that it mutates into hatred. And we as a nation are presently degenerating into tribalism where we don't trust anyone other than ourselves. We're suspicious. We're fearful. And when we do that, hatred ultimately becomes the final product. And it'll tear the country apart. It'll tear our relationships to sunder. Divide and conquer. That's how it works. So what we do is we make caricatures of others. Cartoon characters exaggerating the differences. Exaggerating their negative characteristics. And frankly, who doesn't have negative characteristics? So they become known for what's wrong with them, not what's right with them. And this, of course, perpetuates our fear and our misunderstanding until we're completely disunited. This is a particular problem for us as Christians because of this. Christians are in the truth-telling business. We believe that we are in this world to tell people the truth about the nature of God and His love. And we believe we have the truth. We're absolutely assured that we have the truth. We believe that just as there are God-designed laws that govern the physical world, there are God-designed laws that govern the moral world. We believe that there's absolutes in morality that don't change according to the majority of public opinion. Because we believe in moral absolutes, our explanation of our faith has always been concerned with explaining the truth. Capital T, absolute, all time, not, not subject to cultural changes, not relative, capital T, truth. That is what we believe. Now here's what's interesting. 
Until recently, our message has been either accepted or rejected on the basis of whether or not what we're saying is the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me explain it. The, the playing field of the discussion is a common understanding that there is truth, that truth can be known. So the debate is simply, well, is what he's saying true or not? But the foundation of the discussion is that truth is knowable. There is such a thing as truth. Are you with me? So for, (laughs) well, gosh, 2,000 years, the debate about God and the debate about morality has been on the basis that there is, is one and there is such a thing as truth. The credibility of our message has until recently depended upon a commonly held cultural assumption that moral truth, absolute truth, exists. But listen, what happens if moral truth is no longer accepted? What happens if society no longer believes that there's any such thing as the truth? when it comes to morality? What happens if the idea of truth is removed from the discussion? Now, it's very interesting that this is the problem we face today, and I'm going to discuss that in a minute. But this is exactly what we see happening between Jesus and Pilate, the Roman governor who judged Jesus. You see, this this isn't just a brand new problem. This problem has existed off and on throughout history, but, but not to the degree that it is today in the Western world. So, you know, Pilate said, well, they say you're the king of the Jews. And Jesus said, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. There's that theme again, on the basis of truth. I'm here to testify about truth. And he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, there's always been people that are hungry for the truth, truth seekers. And there's others that don't care. Jesus says, if you're hungry for the truth and you find me, you've found the truth. But this is so interesting. Pilate says, what's truth? Like, does it matter? He's not a truth seeker. He's a politician. Hint. Hint. Pilate dismissed the idea of truth, and by dismissing the idea of truth, the discussion is over. Pilate would feel at home in our Western culture. So what happens when we try to tell people that they need to be forgiven because they violated God's moral law, but they don't believe there's any such thing as moral laws? Just social conventions that change with public opinion. You see, (laughs) telling someone that doesn't believe there's any moral absolutes, that they have a problem, is pointless if they don't believe there's such a thing as moral absolutes. You get where I'm coming from? And at the very least, they're going to think, well, you're very old-fashioned. They're going to ignore us. But depending upon the issue, 
They may accuse us of being judgmental. Who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? You are so judgmental. And at worst, we're accused of being haters, the moral equivalent of racists. Now, this isn't news, and this isn't new. Being misunderstood comes with the turf when you're attempting to speak an unpleasant truth to anyone about anything they don't want to consider. But you see, the problem's much greater than just being the bearer of unwelcomed correction. The foundation of the discussion has changed. I want you to imagine that the discussion is going to take place on a football field. Okay? We're going to work on this issue on a football field. So we get on our pads, we get on our helmets, and our pads are protecting us and covering us, and you know the rules. You drop your helmet and hit somebody in the chest, well, that's spearing. That'll get you fine. But this is before those rules. This discussion is taking place where you can hit just as hard as you want. And you drop your helmet and you've got those shoulder pads on. And you're out there to win a game. You're out there in the name of truth. It's a contact sport, people. It's all about confrontation. I'm going to take you on my truth versus your truth. And we're going to have a game and there's going to be some damage done. And I'm doing it in the name of truth. I'm doing it in the name of truth. I'm going to hurt as many people as I can in the name of truth. So you're all geared up and you go into your three-point stance and you're salivating looking at that little wimpy quarterback. I'm going to kill him because I'm playing for God. I'm going to break his neck. And I'm all juiced up. And I look across, and all of a sudden I realize it's not a football field, it's a soccer pitch. And all those guys, they're in their little, little wimpy shorts. And they got no padding on. And they think we're playing soccer, and I'm about to cream them. And they're thinking, that guy hates me. That guy wants to kill me. This is a discussion. Do you get the picture? The game's changed, people. It's not football anymore. It's soccer. And they think, they think we're out to destroy them. You see, the, the field has changed. The field we thought was football is soccer. And they're not dressed for football. Not only has the game changed, But there's two very destructive lies that have been injected into the game. Now listen to this. This is important. Two very destructive lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. That's just not true. It's possible to disagree with someone's lifestyle without fearing or hating them. Have you ever raised a teenager? Come on. This is your child, okay? Yeah, they're screwed up completely. Their brain is fried. They're running on hormones and hormones and, of course, location, 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 more hormones. 
They're not thinking rationally, but they're your kid. Somewhere in your heart, somewhere deep down in your heart, you still love them. You know you do. You really do. <laughs> and then there are those of us who are so disillusioned we believe they're perfect. Would you, would you just like to take a moment to disabuse your father of that illusion that he's been living under? You can disagree with someone and you don't have to fear or hate them. You can disagree with someone you love. You can treat someone lovingly that you disagree with. It's called marriage. <laughs> don't we all know that by now? Is Shelley here? I, I fear that she's here. I'm going to spend the afternoon explaining that remark. And secondly, that, it, it, that, that, that to love someone means you must agree with everything they believe or do. That's nonsense. Sometimes love means not agreeing with what they're doing. Sometimes love says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? But it's coming from love. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. Okay, so here's the question. How do we attempt to speak truth in the new game? Do we need a new approach? Maybe, maybe we return to a very old approach. How about doing it the way Jesus did it? How about that? He came into a religious world that was committed to the truth, much like our religious world is today. He came to a group of people who were absolutely positive they had the truth down pat. They were the purveyors of truth, the judges of truth, the explainers of truth, the exemplars of truth. They really saw themselves as truth. Jesus came along with a very radical message. He didn't say, a new truth I give to you. I'm here to fight truth on truth. He said, a new commandment I have for you. And what was it? Love one another. You see, for hundreds and hundreds of years, our approach to speaking the truth was to win the truth argument. It's an argument. We're here to argue. And our approach was to focus on the truth, but this was often at the expense of love for those we're speaking to. See, truth came first, and maybe if it wasn't too inconvenient, maybe love followed. Well, this doesn't work anymore, people. The game's changed. Whether we like it or not, the new rule is this. I will listen to your idea of truth if I believe you love me. Love is the new rule. So the question becomes, if I'm going to converse with those I deeply differ with, how do I convince them that I love them? How do I earn the right to be listened to? Listen, people in the world today, we don't have a right to be listened to because we're Christians. That's gone. Those days are over. We don't have the right to speak our truth to anybody 
We earn it. We earn the right to speak the truth, what we believe to be the truth. So how do you do it? How do we begin to earn the right to speak the truth? I just want to see, take a minute, because I got this idea I'm going to expound, and it's going to close the message. So I want to see if anybody gets it. Yes and no. Expressed, she said, unconditional love. Absolutely, that's it. But I'm thinking of an extremely practical way that we can really earn the right to speak. Who said, listen, you get 10% off your offering today. (laughs) Oh, you didn't give an offering today? (laughs) What kind of Christian is that? I'm kidding. That was a joke. Just a joke. Just a joke. The way we earn the right to speak is to listen. Okay, no listening. If you want to be listened to, you start by listening well. Let's look at what the Bible says about listening. To answer before listening is folly and shame. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And here's from one uh, writer. I just absolutely love this. Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. That's profound, people. Here's a good one from a Christian philosopher. The first duty of love is to listen. And here's the most profound and my absolute favorite. To love is to listen, and to listen is to love. I made that up. I made that up by myself. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my people. Thank you, my children. Nothing communicates love like listening especially to someone you fundamentally disagree with. The greatest respect you can give someone that you don't agree with is that you listen to them well. Now, I keep using the word listening well. Get it? Like, there's listening, sort of, and then there's listening well. And you know listening, sort of. Listening, sort of, is where all you're doing is waiting for a pause where you can jam in how to win the argument. Like you're polite enough not to, not to interrupt them all the time, but it's listening like, that's not listening. That's not, hey, not only is that not listening well, that's not listening at all. Yeah. Not at all. That's just waiting for your turn to go into a three-point stance, drop your helmet, and cream them. You know, you do that, you might win the argument, but you'll lose the relationship. This applies to marriage, people. You know what I've learned in in, in being married is there's stuff that just isn't worth fighting over. They're they're negotiable issues. They're not things that matter to me enough to, to tear up the relationship over it. We can have that same attitude with anyone we disagree with. 
Listening becomes love. This is getting to the heart of the matter. Listening becomes love when our motive is to more deeply understand the person we're listening to. Where it's not about winning the argument. I don't, you know what? We're not even having an argument. I'm having an opportunity to get to know you better. I'm having an opportunity to understand you better. It's not an argument. It's my opportunity to come to really understand who you are as a person. And it cares more about the person than the issue. It asks the question, I wonder why they believe what they believe. It's motivated by a desire to come to know who they are and why and how they've come to believe what they believe. It views the argument not as something to win, but as a vehicle for coming to know them better. When was the last time you listened like that? It's so hard to do when you believe you've got the truth. But by doing this well, we earn the opportunity to be taken seriously when we speak what we believe. Now here's something important. The battle for truth is no longer for superior moral authority. The battle is for superior influence. And influence can never be demanded. It is always given voluntarily. I don't know why I can't explain it. Well, maybe I can psychologically, but all of my Christian life in leadership, I've never wanted positional authority. I've never wanted to be in a position of telling people what they have to do. In fact, I'm afraid of that. I don't trust it in myself. I don't trust it in others. I've always wanted to be a person of influence. For years I prayed and said, God, just, just give me a chance to be influential, to really help people, to change, to understand themselves, to know why they do what they do that isn't working, and to help them do something better. I want to be a person of real deep influence. Influence takes a long time to acquire. But once it's acquired, it is the most powerful way to change a mind. And it takes great patience and gentleness. To be honest, it takes a patience and a gentleness that is beyond our human ability to do it. Thank God for God. Thank God for God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So when we need a gentleness we don't have, we can get it from Him. When we need patience we don't have, we can get it from Him. I've heard in prayer groups so many Christians and I've said it myself countless times prayed to, prayed to God and said 
I want you to speak through me. I want you to speak through me to this person. I want you to communicate your love through me to this person. Speak through me, Lord. Speak through me, Lord. I've never heard anyone pray this. Listen through me, Lord. Listen through me. I want I want to listen to people the way God listens to me. Some of you heard me tell this story years ago in our marriage. Shelly got really sick two months after we got married and it just crashed all of our dreams for our future. Just dismantled everything we'd hoped for. And I was very, very angry. I was angry at her. I was angry at God. Mostly I was angry at God. How could you do this to me? I kind of muddled through that. Sort of got that sorted out. But I, I, don't, I don't think I was a very good husband, even sorting that garbage out. And I was sitting in my backyard having my quiet time with the Lord. And this thought came into my mind, what's the best thing I do for you? And I thought it was God putting this thought in my mind. He was asking me a question. What's the best thing I do for you? And I know, you know, I should have said, you died on the cross for my sins. I should have given the, the pat. Which is, I, I shouldn't say pat. I mean, it's the greatest truth of all that he died for my sins. Then I get to have a relationship with him. But that, I, that wasn't what he was asking. He was being practical. He said, what's the, what's the best thing I do for you, like in our relationship, you know, like now? And I thought about it, and I said, you really listen to me. And the thought said, you don't listen to your wife. Stabbed in the heart. Because I knew this is true. I don't. And he said, what do you want? I said, what do you want me to do about it? Because I was really convicted. God, it's true. I said, what do you want me to do about it? I should not have asked that question. (laughs) Foolish, foolish stupid and he was you know he's so practical it's painful he said well you know how you two go to the spa every afternoon after work and you sit there for a while and I said yeah he said I want you to start going to the spa with Shelly and ask her how she's doing and don't say one word for half an hour I said cut off my arm you know, good luck with that. He said, just, just sit and listen to her. Oh, God, no. Guys, it was the most painful six months I ever spent in my life. 
Because she was living in a lot of darkness and, and, and pain, and I wasn't empathetic. I wasn't helping her at all. And it was just like she just puked out all this negativity, and a good chunk of it was all about me. And I, the self-control, God, it was awful. It was awful. It was torture. But the, the worst of it is I told her what God said to me before we started it. Stupid. Stupid. So as she'd be, she'd be like, by the way, I, we're getting into little matrimonial stuff, but so what? This is worth it. There are certain words that women use that drive me crazy. Well, let me just... There's certain words that a particular woman uses that drive me crazy. Is Shelly here today? God, I, I'm, I fear that she is. She listens to this anyway, so I'll pay for this at some point. Two words she uses that I just can't abide. Always and never. You always dot, dot, dot something bad. You never dot, dot, dot something good. Okay, look, I was a lawyer, all right? Like, I deal with words. They're important. Honey, (laughs) I don't always ignore you. Six months ago, I paid attention to you. (laughs) Can't you see the logic of your statement? You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm just in a rage. No, that's not true. Just the other day, I did do the thing you said I never do. But I can't, because I told her what God said to me, and, she, and as soon as I'd start, but, but, the butt's not out, God told you to sh- just shut up. <laughs> no, it's really good. God told you half an hour. Three minutes into it. People, it was flipping torture. It was just horrific. But here's what happened. In the beginning, 90% of what she said was negative and 90% was about me. But gradually over time, as we let the garbage come out, it, 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 it decreased and decreased and decreased. It took about six months, honestly. But at the end of that time... We would talk about her life, and it was like, she was still in the same amount of pain, by the way. The pain hasn't gone away, but she's not negative anymore. We're dealing with 15, 20% negativity, and only 2% about me. I am now a hero. I walk on water. Even though I'm into it up to here, it's bubbling. I walk on water. People, I'm now the hero in the story, not the, an- the antagonist. This is progress with a capital P. We've been doing that for uh, 15 years, 16 years. Every day, we do the same thing. It has brought us so close together. Listening is the secret weapon of love. Listening imparts value because it says to the person, you are worth listening to. I want to know about you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know your deep desires. I want to know your unmet needs. I want to know your fears. I want to know your dreams. And I'm going to listen. 
because I want to know you. And any time we bring that to any person, we are loving them, and it will bring change. And it will bring influence to you that you can use when it's time to say, I think you're wrong. They know the only reason you're saying it is because you love them. Is this convicting anybody in the room? I mean, is anybody, come on, people, wake up. Let me hear an amen. That's pathetic. But, But at least you're listening, right? Okay, (laughs) thank you. I needed that. Uh, Let's close our eyes. We're going to apply this. You can't hear something like this and walk away and not give God a chance to somehow apply this in our lives. So let's just close our eyes for a minute. And we're going to ask God a question. He's going to answer it. I, I promise you he's going to answer this question. Father... Who do I need to listen to? Father, who do I need to listen to well? Like really listen to, Lord. If something came, if you saw a face or heard a name, put up your hand just quickly. Just let me see how this is working. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Father, help us to listen. You've shown us who to listen to. Now we need your help to do it because it's really, really hard. Help me to listen well. Give me your spirit to help me listen well. The patience, the gentleness, and the love to listen well. And I just, thought just came to my mind that I'm pretty certain is him. I think he just said, start with listening to me. Start giving me love by listening to me. Waiting to hear what I have to say about Seek me out. Ask me my opinion. And I'll communicate it to you. Thank you, Father. was down there, I really felt led by the Holy Spirit to show this prophetic video. I asked the guys if they could download it, and it'll really cap off your message well. And then uh, we'll bring down the prayer teams and pray. But watch this profound, deep, moving video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head, and it's relentless, and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have 
uh, nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go? Resist. Just, just had to do that. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's all stand. Prayer teams, if you come down front, please. Maybe today you need to come down and let the prayer teams pray for your wax to come out of your ears, for your tongue to be tied this week, so that you do more listening than speaking. If you have any kind of sickness or disease in your body, come down front let these prayer teams pray for you. Jesus said, where two of you on earth agree as touching anything they ask, my Father in heaven will do it. We have constant testimonies of people getting healed uh, or prayers answered in some way by coming down and letting these prayer teams pray for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, I'm going to be right down here in the middle and I want to pray with you. Or maybe you have questions about Christianity. I would love to speak with you. The way I got saved, which means I gave my life to Christ and I had my sins forgiven and my heart was healed and I've been walking with him over 30 years. My prayer was, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you're who those people down at that church say you are, I'm inviting you into my life. And there was no big lightning bolts or angelic visitations, but over the next days, weeks, and months, um, I noticed that I was changing from the inside out. And everybody else knows it as well. And uh, that's how God proved to me that he heard my prayer. And so I want to pray that same prayer with you or listen to what questions you might have. Um, So I'll just be right down front here. And I'd love to talk to you. So, well, Jesus, thank you so much for your presence in this place today. It means everything to us. Thank you for the word you gave Mark to give to us. May we apply it on social media this week. May we apply it in our family relationships, our friendships, at school, at work, in our own attitudes and hearts, Lord. So that we can say with confidence that we truly represented Jesus to the world this week. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right. God bless you.